Ah Thing had a brother who surrendered to missionary service. Ah Thing did not. He was a, uh, a businessman. And five years after his brother went into missions, he died. And his wife, I don't remember exactly the story there, but everyone had hopes for his labor, the gospel to advance in his brother, and he got and he died. And so this man, a thing who was a businessman, felt God saying, you're supposed to take his place. Um, and a thing is a man of faith and of incredible humility. And so he said, I shouldn't be here. My brother should be here. My brother was trained. I'm not trained. My brother died. I don't know why I'm here. And God has done miracles through his life. He is clearly a man of of faith, simple faith, but also that apostolic evangelistic gifting he has trained and sent in that modular training over, like you said, 68 are actually presently working over 100. And uh, he has churches in every district there of Assam. And uh, that land they're on, he said, was given to the Christians like back in 1857. Is that what the date, did you hear that? Uh, and it was given to Christians because it was useless. It's surrounded by Muslims one way, Hindus another, uh, and, uh, and now it's in his hands. Uh, and he has the rights to it because the Christians who were despised were given that peace, and God's doing a miracle out of that land. And uh, when I was with him, um, it was interesting. He said, you know, I, I really can't tell. He's doing this school and this orphanage, and he can talk about that, he says, but... The training side, he says, not too many people have a vision for. I can't talk about it because they don't understand, which is really kind of sad. Um, but God is using him in a great way. And that was exciting. I love, um, uh, anyone here should go spend time with this man and you'll catch the right kind of vision. Um, he is, um, he's a good man right there in, uh, in Guwahati. Assam is actually got 34 million um, Assam is the largest, if you look at it, it's like it's the inside of Northwest India. Um, and it's got 34 million unreached, there's unreached tribes. It's a great mission field itself, 34 million. You know, that's larger than the majority of countries in the world. Um, and uh, so uh, he's called there. Interesting enough, he has been given land over in Manipur for a training center there. Nothing's on it. He was given to that, which is another God thing in his life. Um, and uh, he would be an exciting one to partner with in training in India, actually. So a thing. Praise the Lord for that. God's at work. You know, when I went to Namli, um, which is the edge, you know, the frontier of gospel advance on the border, um, I found there were two Baptist churches there. I found a young man uh, in his latter 20s who had moved there on, just talk about raw faith, carving out his desires to reach Buddhist, and he has started a school for Burmese children to come. I preached the gospel to 70 of them. And uh, this man is living by faith. His wife cannot even come live with him right now. And child, he's apart from them. It is such raw. The buildings are uh, so... So basic, and he's there for the gospel in Namli. And you know the thing that I find wherever I go is, like, God already got there. God's working there. How did he? I thought Namli was, you know, like, 
I can't find the edge of where the gospel hasn't gone. <laughs> God is at work in our world. Uh, he is being faithful to this generation. Um, and it really is a humbling thing, an encouraging thing. But uh, the, the, the need for labors, I was just talking with Pastor Ernest yesterday on, uh, on a, a coaching call with him, and uh, he said, Bafusam is so ripe for the gospel. He says, I just feel like the city is just, or people talk, come to us talk about the gospel and the number of different prongs with his own young men who he's training and sending um, and uh, other small groups here and there. And uh, he says, you know, just need more laborers. And uh, we have to be careful about that because uh, there's enough laborers if we'll all obey and go, right? Um, and uh, so that, that's exciting uh, to be at, uh, with what God is doing. Um, let's look, I've been thinking about what to do here today. Let's just look at big picture at the book of Acts. Let's just look big picture at the book of Acts here. Turn to Acts 1. Um, and uh, Acts chapter 1. And... I met with Alex in Aquila this morning, and I was going to share this with him. We never got to it, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, uh, Acts chapter 1, and uh, Alex and Aquila, those guys are being spoiled. They're having, you know, meals at steakhouses and you know, graduation parties. And I said, don't tell the people you go back to what you've been, you know, experiencing here. Um, we're treating you too good, too well. Right, Taylor, right? Uh, was a, they're great guys. I'm really excited about Ghana. Um, Acts chapter 1, um, and verse, look at, uh, of course, it begins with Jesus beginning both to do and teach. Uh, by the way, in the, in, the, in the New Testament, there's really two significant examples. If we're going to get serious about examples that are in the Scripture, there's two significant ones in the New Testament. Whose stories are they? Example number one is the example of Jesus, and example number two is the example of Paul, right? Get, dig into those two lives, and you'll probably come out right. Um, their patterns are there. They're there for us. They're the number one stories. Um, I mean, God could have written a lot of stories in the New Testament, but he gave us Paul's. Of course, Jesus is, is, is the unique one. Um, but those two patterns, those two stories are the ones that are there. Um, and uh, Jesus began both to do and teach. Um, uh, by the way, if the Bible is sufficient as our only rule of faith and practice, those stories should be enough. Right? How often do we look past them, look beyond them? Why don't we look at them? Why don't we learn from them? Why don't we study them? Why don't we get them down? Um, because that's one of our fundamental principles, isn't it? The Word of God, sufficient. That's what we have. God could have given us a lot of other stories when it comes to the book of Acts and the apostles, but those, these are the ones that we have. Um, Acts 1, and then verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is to come upon you, 
and you're going to be witnesses unto me. And then he gives this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth, and he really defines it in a geographical or a regional sort of way. And I want you to think in terms of this in the book of Acts, um, to think about the gospel advance from a local region to a nearby region to a far region. All right. So you have the local region. What would be the local region? That would be what? Jerusalem, right? Okay, so we start in Jerusalem, and just big picture with Jerusalem, um, the, the local region was reached by, we could say this, the local region was reached by spirit-filled believers. Right? When did it all start? Acts 2 with what? The spirit. So look at Acts 2, um, and just look there at verse... Um, um, Acts 2, and look at verse 4, and they were what? All filled. So certainly the leaders were, but how many of them were filled? All were filled. 120 of them, all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak uh, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Obviously, we have Peter's message, but Peter's message... Uh, could, only, could only be one of the tongues that was spoken. So there was more than one speaking that day. And Peter's really probably speaking in the Hebrew, I suppose. Um, but you've got 15, 16 other languages that are definitely mentioned by name, regions. Um, and uh, so they're all filled. So local, spirit-filled believers are reaching this region. Just look over at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5 and look over at verse... Um, 42, or 41 and 42, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And 42, and daily in the temple and in every house they, what? Ceased not. Now, who is this specifically describing in Acts 5? Um, well, we definitely have some of the apostles in this group. There's the, they are the ones being released from the prison. Um, and they are daily in the temple and in every house, ceasing not to teach and preach Jesus. I just think about that. Every believer was doing this, but who was leading this? The apostles. Now, we need to realize the apostles were not the exclusive doers of this, but they were the leaders of it. And one day you all will be a leader, perhaps. You'll have the position of a leader. Who should be leading the daily witness? Who should be leading the demonstration of these things, right? That's the apostles. They were leading it. But they were not the exclusive doers of it because look at, look at verse 6. Acts 6, uh, no, excuse me, uh, Acts, um, well, yes, Acts 6, and look at um, uh, verse, um, verse 8. Acts 6 and verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great what? Wonders and miracles among the people. So Stephen is one of the obedient ones. He's selected to be a deacon because he's an evangelizer. Um, and uh, he could be trusted with a, a, that leadership role. But he was an ordinary believer. And he was doing all the works of the Great Commission the apostles were doing miracles. Stephen's doing miracles. 
We'll see Philip, obviously, as well. So all the believers are in on this. Look at Acts chapter, uh, look at the end of Acts chapter 4. Um, and here they are, um, and they're in the prayer meeting. Um, uh, and uh, the, um, look at verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them, what? All. All right, so this local region is being reached by spirit-filled believers led by the uh, leaders of the church, but everyone is participating in this, and really it's a daily lifestyle, right? And they reach that local region. Amen? Isn't that good news? So we can see that. All right, then persecution comes in, and we come to Acts uh, chapter... Oh, well, here's the end result of that. Look at Acts 9. And uh, verse uh, 31, Acts 9, or uh, uh, well, actually, I'm getting a little ahead of self on that, but look at Acts 9, 31. Uh, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. I'm actually a little ahead of myself. Let's go back to the Acts 8. Um, Acts 8 here, um, the persecution comes, people are scattered in verse 1, but look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, what? So now we find the local region is reached by spirit-filled believers who are daily going everywhere. The next region is reached by scattered believers who are going everywhere, preaching the word, right? So spirit-filled believers, local believers, now scattered believers reaching the next region, and they're going everywhere preaching the word. What is interesting, folks, is this. They weren't doing anything different when they were scattered as what they were doing when they were at home right? They kept living the same way. What they were doing locally, they were scattered and just kept doing, right? So this didn't start when they were scattered. It actually started while they were at home, right? Um, and now they're scattered and they just keep doing the same thing. So that's important. You know, uh, just going somewhere place else doesn't mean you're going to do it, right? Um, they were scattered but they're preaching the word. Verse 5 of Acts 8 is Philip. He goes down to Samaria. Philip, again, we call him a deacon, but you have to realize he's not preaching because he's a deacon. He was a deacon because he was preaching, right? What qualified him to be a deacon was the obedience that we see in the chapter like this. It doesn't go, that, it doesn't go the other way. The position didn't give him power. He was given the position because he had power, right? Um, and it was... It was fundamentally spiritual. Um, and so he goes and he's preaching Christ and he does miracles. A whole city is filled with great joy in verse 8. And of course, um, uh, and then later on, it's interesting that he calls up some of the leaders of his church. The apostles come at the end uh, and they see what God has done and they actually affirm it and uh, and engage a bit in the oversight of what this ordinary believer Philip had started on his own. And Philip then goes and does another trip along the coast um, after the Ethiopian eunuch, and he goes up to Caesarea. So Philip is just on mission, and he's in the next region um, uh, as a scattered believer. I really love Acts chapter 11. The story of Acts 11 is thrilling because these are the same scattered believers. Look at verse 19. Now they 
which were scattered abroad. Okay, this is the same group as Acts 8. This is the same story of what Philip did up to Samaria. Now we have another group scattered. Um, and of course, most of these folks are just preaching to Jews because they were Jews. Um, and they didn't yet quite have the faith for the gospel crossing into other cultures and backgrounds. But verse 20, some of these scattered believers were from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyprus is that island. Cyrene is part of North Africa. So an African man, an island man, not men fundamentally of a Jewish perspective, not really from uh, Jerusalem. Uh, these men have a burden for Grecians, for non-Jews, because that's very likely who they were. And they are preaching, uh, the Lord, and they preach the Lord. And verse 21, the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number believed. They turned to the Lord. And so here you have... Uh, this amazing breakthrough, they call a couple of the leaders from Jerusalem that um, had uh, you know, kind of had been home churches, if you will. They come up and they just say, yes, uh, that's it. Um, uh, you're, you're, this is the real thing. And they provide some teaching uh, to make that, to, to make and keep that movement, uh, keep that movement strong. And Saul comes over. Um, and Saul, of course, has been over in his home area preaching and planting churches in uh, Cilicia. So here we find the next regions then. We find Judea reached by spirit-filled believers. Then you're finding Galilee and Samaria and Syria being reached by scattered believers. What's interesting thing about these scattered believers, it is ordinary believers who are doing this. These are not ordained believers. These are obedient believers. Just going everywhere. Um, in a certain sense, this is not planned church planting. It's not administrated. But it is intentional. It's on purpose. They're doing. But it's just coming out of the life of obedient believers. Amen? So, again, the Great Commission, you're thinking regionally. You have the local region reached by spirit-filled believers. Then you have the next regions reached by scattered believers. God had to do it with persecution, but he, he doesn't have to do it with persecution. He can just do it with obedience, and they're reaching the next region. Then we come to Acts 13. And here we find stage number three. Um, and this is now getting to the uttermost parts. Now we're talking about the far regions. Um, and here we find they're ministering to the Lord and fasting. Uh, they've been, uh, Paul and Barnabas have been there about a year. There's these leaders. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, I've got these two men who've been here. It's time for a new work. And Separate Barnabas and Saul. I have this work for them, and they send them away. Um, what do you think that they're fasting and praying about, by the way? Probably about what exactly the Spirit just told them to do, to send them away. The Great Commission. Um, it's on their hearts. Um, and uh, the Lord says, advance it. So now they're sending these two away, Barnabas and Saul. Now they would, we would call them, you know, they're set apart for this. 
They are ordained, if you will. There's a recognized leadership gift in their lives, right? We'd understand that. A recognized spirit given call and leadership gift. And now we're setting them apart for what region? The far region. Both of these men have been obedient in local regions already. Now, they've already been planting churches. They've been already overseeing. Now, now you go do it over there. Um, and now we find an intentional, um, the Spirit uh, led them in this way, and they are sent out, and they accomplish this in the far regions. Um, and uh, I think sometimes we, we look to this moment, the sending, but we overlook what happened earlier, the scattering um, and the region, because now these men are sent, um, and now as sent believers with these leadership gifts, now they go into other regions and they start basically their own, the same local and regional uh, works uh, that they had experienced back in uh, Judea and Cilicia and so forth. Um, And the Great Commission is accomplished, and they are sent, um, and uh, obviously go to Galatia and so forth. Um, on the second missionary journey, they get that Macedonian vision. Isn't that interesting, the Macedonian vision? Um, did they intend to go as far as Macedonia on that trip? Did they intend to? Uh, no, they didn't. They had been in Galatia. Where were they expecting to go after Galatia? Like Asia, which was directly west, or where? Bithynia, directly north. And God says no. And he gives them a vision to where? You know, I'm thinking way up across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia. Uh, and I really believe God works this way. When you're, when you're sent, God will connect you unexpectedly to regions you didn't plan on. And how will he do that? How will he do that? Certainly he could use a vision. I mean, he could, you know, just give you that knowledge. He certainly could do that. But how, how, how often or what will he normally, how will he normally connect? What was the vision, Macedonian vision of? What was it of? It was of a man saying what? Come and help us, right? So how does he usually connect you? He connects you to a person from a region you didn't expect. It's a person of peace. Someone who's saying, come, come to us. And God literally said, leave this next region and get over there, you know, and a whole new work is begun. I think, I think we have to be ready for that, right? Let's be ready. Uh, and then Paul goes over there and just spends weeks in these different areas and ends up spending a year and a half down in Corinth on that you know, second trip um, and, uh, and reaches a whole new region. Amen? And then the third trip, he reaches the region of Asia. So this is Acts 1.8, big picture. Regional advance regional coverage um, and uh, God wants to work that way a thing, I believe he has that 
Aquila, Alex, they have that. Regional. The Great Commission is uh, not a commission to plant a church, but to reach a region and multiply in that way. Amen? All right. Ye shall receive power, the Holy Ghost come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. All right, this summer, what does it mean for you then? What would it mean for you? What would it mean for you this summer? What local region? What were they doing every day? They were daily, right? Um, do you think God could do some movement this summer? How's he going to do that? Although daily, right? Daily. And uh, you're going to have to mean to do it, right? Daily. Take time for it daily. Speak of Christ. Ask God for divine appointments and be on mission every day. Right, Sergio? I love Sergio summer. Every day walking the streets of New York City. It's really good. Daily. One day God wants to use many of you as leaders. Um, it's time to live daily, right? And let God use us every day. Just want to encourage you to um, live uh, in this mission, understand how it advances, and to let it be a daily matter for you here this summer. Amen? Give him the gospel. Time for what God wants to do. Um, pray for one another, too. Um, pray for the prayer lists that were distributed for one another uh, this summer. Let's do that.